protests in US, UK, Australia, Canada, is the Khalistan separatist issue becoming a diplomatic challenge for India? And is tit for tat really the best way to manage the security situation arising from protests at Indian missions? Hello and welcome to Worldview at the Hindu with me, Sahasini Heather. Now, the raids and the arrests on a group suspected of extremist violence and Khalistani separatism in Punjab, the group is called Baris Punjab Day, and the hunt for its leader, Amritpal Singh, this week really saw repercussions for Indian diplomacy around the world. Over the course of worldview, we've of course spoken about defensive diplomacy, we've spoken about domestic issues, becoming foreign policy issues. Uh, here we have a look at how these protests are really playing out and how the diplomacy against them has really been seen from the government and the Ministry of External Affairs and how they've dealt with them, what are the options. So first let's turn to the United Kingdom. In London, protesters shouted slogans, accosted Indian diplomats, even pulled down the tricolour from the High Commission balcony on Sunday. Now according to government officials, what was really egregious was that the British police had been called. There was an SOS sent to the British Metropolitan Police, but they arrived too late to stop the protesters from taking the uh, tricolour down, trying to put the Khalistan or what's called the so-called Khalistan flag up over there. And then there was another protest on Wednesday, but by then, obviously, things had changed. The system had gone into place. A considerably larger contingent of police was there to stop them. The videos that you are seeing are taken by the Hindus correspondent in London, Shriram Lakshman. His reports are there on our website, www.thehindu.com. So you can read much more about this. What did the Ministry of External Affairs do? First, they summoned, and it was a Sunday late night, so you can imagine how rare that is. They summoned Britain's top diplomat in Delhi, Deputy High Commissioner Christina Scott, expressed India's anger over what it called the UK's unacceptable indifference to the situation. Really a big accusation to say the, in, the UK government really doesn't care what happens to our diplomats. And what appeared then to be a tit-for-tat retaliatory move the government then uh, removed security barricades from outside the High Commission as well as from High Commissioner Alex Ellis's residence. Now, obviously, the government doesn't announce it's doing this, um, but we did see those barricades being taken away just within a day of that. Then we turn to what happened in the United States. In San Francisco in particular this week, protesters broke open the makeshift security barriers that had been raised by the city police there. They installed, again, what are called two Khalistani flags inside the consulate premises, so a real attack again on the Indian consulate. Ministry of External Affairs summoned the Charge des Affairs in Delhi. Elizabeth Jones conveyed a strong protest to her. However, at this point, no security measures have been downgraded, as we saw in the British case. Uh, in 2013, remember, the government had actually removed security barriers around the US Embassy in protest against the arrest of Indian diplomat Devyani Kobragare. In, in the US. So that was a 2013 case. This time we haven't seen that same reaction against the US, but we've seen it against the United Kingdom. Then you look at Australia. Since January, at least four temples in Australia have been vandalized uh, with what you can see in those pictures, pro-Khalistani, anti-India, anti-Prime Minister Modi in particular, graffiti on the walls there. Last week, the honorary Indian consulate in Brisbane, so it's not exactly the government's consulate, it's somebody who's been appointed as an honorary consul general there. Uh, she had to close down after protesters surrounded the entrance of the consulate and raised a Khalistani flag over there. 
Um, in fact, this time it got bumped up. Prime Minister Modi himself raised the issue. Very unusual and rare for a Prime Minister to take up with his counterpart publicly. Normally, these are considered consular issues taken uh, up at uh, the consular level. But he did say that he was worried and uh, it was particularly rare given that the temple communities in question that we're talking about in Australia are mostly Australian citizens. Nevertheless, listen in to what Prime Minister Modi said. This is a हमलों की खबरें नियमित रूप से आ रही हैं। स्वाभाविक है कि ऐसे समाचार भारत में सभी लोगों को चिंतित करते हैं, हमारे मन को व्यथित करते हैं, हमारी इन भावनाओं और चिंताओं को मैंने प्रधानमंत्री एल्बेनिजी के समक्ष रखा और उन्होंने मुझे आश्वस्त किया है कि भारतीय समुदाय की सेफ्टी उनके लिए विशेष प्राथमिकता है। In fact, I spoke to High Commissioner of Australia to India, Barry O'Farrell, about the incidents um, that were taken up during the visit of Australian Prime Minister Anthony Albanese. And while he said that Australia condemns the vandalism, eventually there are very few options for the government other than simply painting over the slogans to deal with the graffiti. Uh, he did say uh, that obviously graffiti is one thing and hate speech and hate crime is a quite another uh, and that there was zero tolerance for it. But when it comes to graffiti on the walls, the only thing you can really do is paint over them unless you can find the culprits. Then we move to Canada. Uh, Indian, the Indian Consul was not able to attend an event in British Columbia this week after protests against those same raids in Punjab. Uh, there was a lack of security, adequate security at the event, so the Indian consul decided not to visit. That again is a very unusual thing to happen. Uh, in fact, there have been a number of cases of pro-Khalistani graffiti on temples in various parts of Canada. Most recently there in Mississauga, we saw uh, these, this graffiti and these anti-India, anti-Modi, anti-government sort of uh, graffiti there. The Indian consulate in Toronto has condemned the vandalism in a statement. Uh, in fact, not this year, but earlier, India had reacted to what it saw as or what it called the Canadian government's lack of action in a number of such cases. And I think we did a worldview just on those events, including Prime Minister Trudeau's criticism of the way that Indian protesters against the farm laws were treated in India. External Affairs Minister at that point, S. Jay Shankar, had skipped a virtual meeting with the Canadian Foreign Minister. And in fact, all high-level contacts between the governments were cancelled for several months until Prime Minister Modi met with uh, Mr. Trudeau again and things have gotten back on track. So while these issues, including support to the separatist groups, are a key reason for much of the tensions between India and Pakistan, for example, countries like the US, UK, Canada and Australia are countries that have very good ties with India. Also, they are countries where India's diaspora population, and particularly that of overseas Indians who are not Indian citizens, is high. So why does the government react quite as much? What are its biggest worries? One is certainly you've seen an attack already on the Indian mission 
and there is a history to this. So the worry is about a larger attack, a bigger attack on the mission. In London itself, the High Commission has faced threats from Khalistani separatists, from Kashmiri separatist groups as well, and their supporters, many of them allegedly funded by Pakistan. In 1973, in fact, it was three Pakistani gunmen who entered the High Commission, opened fire, injured Indian diplomats before two of them were killed by the British police. In 1984, protesters overran the roads outside, people said as many as 15,000 protesters. Eventually, it was contained by the police. 1985, an Indian diplomat, Mr. Matre, kidnapped and killed. 2019, protests against the CAA, the Citizenship Amendment Act, at the Indian High Commission. And we saw them uh, protesting quite violently. They surrounded the uh, mission and, and pelted eggs, pelted other objects. In 2020, then, there were protests against the farm laws at the High Commission. There was also a UK Parliament debate on the issue and the envoy, the British envoy to India, was summoned over that. Uh, another big worry for India is that domestic politics, as we have spoken in the past, spills over abroad. So whether it's a Citizenship Amendment Act, the farm laws, the kind of protests we're seeing over what is essentially a domestic law and order uh, operation, tends to become a part of the discourse internationally and India has always been very sensitive about any kind of intervention in its own uh, affairs. Another worry is that attacks on the mission like this are going to empower groups, embolden them uh, while they're radicalizing people abroad to think of more such acts. Remember, there have been terror attacks as well as a result of this kind of diaspora politics, if you like. Uh, there was the bombing of the Kanishka, the, uh, the Indian Airlines, Flight Air India flight uh, IC182 that went from Montreal to London. It was en route to Delhi uh, that had a bomb aboard it and uh, nearly 300 people died. Another big worry is the big strain on bilateral ties with the US, with UK, with Canada, with Australia. Uh, these are very important relationships. In the case of Saudi Arabia and Iran, for example, they snap ties between them after the Saudi embassy in Tehran was overrun by protests in 2016. They've only just restored ties during a meeting that was mediated by Beijing and was part of the big headlines. So what are India's options when it comes to dealing with these diplomatic violations, a violation of India's sovereignty, of its high commissions in different countries? One is to increase the diplomatic methods, step up the pressure, more demarches, more visa restrictions for that country coming in, downgrading the numbers of uh, diplomats at these missions. That's something we've done with Pakistan in the past. Another option is to increase security uh, by posting more Indian guards because Indian uh, uh, missions are sovereign Indian territory and we can have more guards over there. Uh, we certainly do it in Afghanistan where Indian guards uh, are right on the inner peripheries. Um, they could step up political pressure, the external affairs minister, the prime minister, um, carry out tit-for-tat sort of operations of the kind we've seen where you reduce security at the British mission in India or some other mission in India. Uh, you take away the barricades or even uh, in some cases the government encouraging protests outside uh, the, the, uh, the missions themselves. You know, some of them are politically motivated protests. Those are all tactics, options that you can employ in the final when it looks like diplomacy is really losing and doesn't seem to have much point you could even snap ties. That's obviously a very extreme case like we saw between Saudi and Iran. India has also, in its protests, raised the Vienna Convention for diplomats. 
particularly with the UK and the US. So what is the Vienna Convention? Let me tell you very quickly. This is a United Nations Treaty adopted by all member countries. It was called the Convention on Diplomatic Relations. It was done in Vienna in April 1961 and ratified by most of the countries after. It mandates codes of behavior and you can read it online quite easily. But look at Article 22. It says the premises are inviolable. And, and part two of that says the receiving or host state is under a special duty to take all appropriate steps to protect the premises of the mission against any intrusion or damage and to prevent any disturbance of the peace of the mission or impairment of its dignity. So it's very clearly a violation of Vienna Conventions when you see these kind of protesters actually coming to the mission and attacking the mission. There's no question really that the security of a high commission or an embassy is the obligatory duty of the host country. So the UK must explain thoroughly why it has been unable to protect the Indian High Commission despite repeated requests for more security. However, and I make this point because of the diplomacy involved, the government really must reconsider how it conflates issues where the security of Indian missions and diplomats are at risk and conflates that with the cases of graffiti and vandalism at temples or other centers for the diaspora community. A majority, as I said, of whom are not actually Indian citizens. Eventually, politicizing the di diaspora can cut both ways. And Indian diplomacy must instead be focused on protecting Indian interests. I'm going to leave it right there and get you some reading recommendations. Uh, clearly, we are in uncharted territory, so there are not too many about this particular situation. But you can read up on where... Uh, these uh, so-called Khalistan separatist movements have grown abroad, in particular in these four countries. There's a book by Darshan Singh Tatla. I think he's passed away now, but he had written for the Global Diaspora series. So they wrote about Italian immigrants, Jewish immigrants and others um, called The Sikh Diaspora, The Search for Statehood. Uh, another great book to read about the times, Amritsar, Mrs. Gandhi's Last Battle by Mark Tully and Satish Jacob. Obviously, it's based in 1984. Uh, but it really gives you very good backdrop and it comes from journalists who were right there on the scene. Another great book by a very good journalist called Terry Milewski in Canada. He for years covered the Kanishka tragedy. So you can read much more about that as well as all the other parts of this particular uh, part of the, uh, the diaspora. It's called Blood for Blood, 50 Years of the Global Khalistan Project. So put very clearly. Uh, there's another book you might find interesting, uh, which is really a quick read uh, about this most famous uh, embassy siege, which was the Iranian embassy siege in London. Uh, in fact, in the UK, uh, I think it was in 1981 and it's called Go, 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 the SAS, the Iranian embassy siege, the true story by Rusty Furman and Will Pearson. Um, I'd like to also give you some books just on the diplomatic perspective on a lot of these. One is called Diplomatic Bag an anthology of diplomatic incidents and anecdotes from the Renaissance to the Gulf War. This is by John Yule, And uh, you might find that interesting. Also by Indian diplomat, former foreign minister as well, K. Natwar Singh, who wrote Walking with Lions, Tales from a Diplomatic Past. Finally, there is History Shock, When History Collides with Foreign Relations by John Dixon. He's an American diplomat, but he writes about interesting ties with Cuba, 
uh, and the U.S.'s ties with other countries that are quite fraught. Uh, finally, there is this anthology, and this is really just for the academics amongst you. Uh, you'll probably have to get it from a library. It's called the Vienna Convention on the Law of Treaties, a commentary. And then there are a number of essays in there, published, I think, by Springer Publications in 2018. And there's now a paperback version as well. Right now on Worldview, we want to introduce the question on Worldview this week. It's QOTW, and we're going to take questions from you each week. This one says, could you please do a quick review of India's current defense exports and why we need to focus on those uh, uh, indigenous exports, I think he means. This is by Vishal Aditya, who sent this in to us on YouTube. But of course, you can put your questions on YouTube in the comment section on our website. Uh, as well as um, on, on others like Instagram and Twitter. So here's my answer, Vishal. According to the latest report of what's called the Swedish think tank, Stockholm International Peace Research Institute, SIPRI, that looks every year at weapons and, and uh, exports and imports, and you spoke about it, India was the largest arms importer for the five-year period between 2018 and 2022. Uh, even though its arms imports have dropped by 11%, from 2013 and, uh, to 2018, those five-year periods. Russia has been the largest supplier of arms to India, but its share has really fallen as a total of the whole uh, from about 64% to about 45%. Given the Ukraine war, it's likely to reduce further. India was the biggest arms export market for Russia, for France, and for Israel. Clearly, it's a market that must be tapped more by domestic manufacturing, especially as the world becomes more polarized, and if India is the highest importer, it means other countries that have big budgets are now making their own weaponry. Uh, there's more uh, on the Hindu's website. In fact, a great explainer by Dinkar Peri, my, my colleague uh, at the Hindu, which you might find interesting. And do send us in your questions week after week here on Worldview, and we'll try to take them up each week. Join us again from the team here. Thanks for watching.